Well, it's good to have everybody here. Welcome to church. We saw you were not here at the 9 a.m. service, so apparently you may have stayed up late last night. I get it. I get it. I don't know why, but apparently you might have, but no. It's good to have everybody here. Church is on the move. I told you guys a story last week of seeing the lady that, uh, you know, who knows? She might be an angel. It's crazy. It's still TBC. It's still, still TBC. I went back to the Starbucks and I was like, no, she's not here. She's not here. Awesome. So uh, all good. But uh, that's a little insight for those that were here last week. But we are in a series, Romans. We're having a good conversation. Romans, you know, you think about uh, the book of Romans, a lot of theology, uh, a lot of doctrine comes out of it. Paul's case for faith essentially is what he was doing through the book of Romans. And I thought it'd be great for us to go through this book. So week number one, we talked about uh, man, the world's got a problem, we got a problem, and the beautiful thing is God's brought the solution is Jesus Christ, amen. Second week, we talked about salvation with benefits, you know, it's a beautiful thing to get salvation, but here's the beauty, we get some benefits that come with it. And those benefits, we get the body of Christ, we get a support system, accountability system on this journey, we don't get to, we don't get to, we don't have to live it alone, basically. A book called right now by John Mark Comer is Live No Lies. It's talking a lot about this, that when we live in isolation, it is the, wor the world of the enemy that he can speak lies that are counter to God's purposes in our life. So it's a great book if you want to dive in. Last week we talked about there's an expectation on behavior, and we don't want to sit here today. I may do a series at some point in time called Sin. Oh, I think it'd be awesome. We'll just talk about all sin, right, in Jesus' name. Um, but here's the deal. The beauty is when we know what we believe and we know who we believe in, now the Spirit of God can lead us into the truth. And when he leads us into the truth, it's not going to be counter to his character or his will and behaviors will flow out of that belief. And so today there might be a lot of struggle in our behaviors. We just got to go back to what do we believe? If we believe differently, more than likely we behave differently. So uh, we didn't have to go into specific sins. It's beautiful. We just got to know Jesus. And, um, so it's good. Uh, we are going to continue that series today, but here's the deal. I'm not going to be the one preaching, and everybody says, yay. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad nobody was like, yeah. I love you guys, you know. Amen. Thank you. Appreciate it. Oh, man. We'll do hugs after service, all right? Directly after service. We'll have hug time. Be therapy for everybody, including me. Amen. Um, but I got a buddy in town, him and his wife and his lovely girls are in town and we got to hang out at Chicken and Pickle last night and we found out that Chloe, their oldest daughter, is a gangster with pickleball and uh, she was hating on her dad. Her dad like missed a shot. She said, come on, dad. I was like, wow, this girl's serious right now. But we raised in some, some girls, amen. They got two girls, we got two girls. We on the dad, girl dad life and it's a, it's a good life and um, we got to know Jesus so we don't hurt anybody that tries to come after our daughters. Amen. So we got to, because we like to aggressively pray for people that got some plans, you know. Uh, but no, we're going to continue the series here today in Romans. And um, uh, the great thing about my friends and uh, people I like to come speak at our churches, they don't come in with a pre-prepped message, you know, and this whole like, I preached it good over here and now I'm gonna come preach it good over here, you know, do this whole thing. But he literally tunes in, he watches my, my messages, he'll give me some feedback and stuff like that. But he, he's paid attention to what's going on in Romans, watched last week's message and said, I got something that I think I can continue on with the body of Christ, the church that you, uh, you're leading. And uh, so he's got a fresh something here today that he wants to preach and communicate. And uh, I think it's great. So it's good to have the one and only Pastor Cruz Ramirez in town here today. Let's give him a big Pearl Street welcome in the house here today. My dude. Amen. Thank you, Devin, for standing up. The one person. The Pearl Street welcome is we stand up on our feet. We celebrate the man that's coming in to drop the word. Come Can on. we get up on our feet and give it up for the one and only Pastor Cruz? I love Cruz. you. I love you. Amen. I love Amen. You. <laughs> Amen. Hey, give it up for your pastors one time. Come on. Amen. One time. Pastor Brent. I, I, know, I know she's going to get mad at me, but I'm going to say Pastor Heather, That's who right. pastors in her Dr. own way. Pastor doctor, Heather. the Reverend Doctor. The Reverend Doctor. The Reverend Doctor Heather Cadell. Heather Cadell, yeah. Amen. I love you. I love you. He's one of the you. dudes that, when I talk about pastors, that we, we say we love each other. He's one of the guys that we, we, we say it. we love each we other. And then we're on the phone. Our wives think we're crazy, but 
I love you, bro. I love you, I love man. you. <laughs> love you, man. We love each other. Amen. Yes, sir. Thank you, guys. Hey, before you sit down, before you sit down, do you love Jesus? Can you give him the best praise you're going to give him all day today? Come on. Amen, amen. All right. Why don't you give a compliment to two or three people around you and then grab your seats. Give them a compliment. You look good. You look good. You look good. I see you in your costume. Oh, you're not wearing a costume? My bad. I'm just playing. <laughs> amen. 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 Awesome. Hey, well, let's go to work. You, you, you ready for the word? Ready for the word. Hey, hasn't Pastor been doing an incredible job teaching and leading us through the book of Romans? Come on, right? Um, you know, I'm grateful that God has given me friends who are real ones. Amen. Do you have any friends in your life that are real ones who love you enough to be honest? who love you enough to give you some feedback and some perspective, right? Um, and I believe that, that Brent Cadell is, is a friend and a brother that the Lord has placed in my life, and I'm just grateful for him and, and his family. And I'm proud of Pearl Street Church, man. Do you feel, you feel the momentum coming behind us, right, as a church? You feel, you feel like the vision pulling us, right? It's, it, we're about to go into an incredible season. We've been in seven years of just, man, God is doing some great stuff, and I'm just excited for this upcoming season season. We love to build. Amen. And we're building and God is going to do some incredible stuff. Amen. So I'm honored to be in the house. I'm honored to be in the house and I'm going to continue uh, the the train of thought and the stream of teaching that pastor's been doing. You know, um, uh, I love the book of Romans. The book of Romans is quite arguably the most meaty, I would, I would say probably in the New Testament. And it teaches us how to believe, right? The, the last couple of weeks, pastor has been teaching us on how we believe the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans is really that, teaching us theological framework, teaching us doctrinal frameworks, how, what, what we ought to believe. And then it switches gears. And last year, last year, last week, Pastor Brent um, leaned into this is how we behave because a faith, not just a theology, but a faith, a faith requires both believing and behaving. Amen. A theology that does not have a practical application, I heard a scholar say, all it creates is barren intellectualism. It creates in intellectual perspective that does not give fruit to anything that lives. But our faith is not just intellectual pride. Our faith is in practical practice. Does that make sense? Everyday practice, right? That's the faith that you have been called to, that the Lord has drawn you towards, that this faith is not just to say, well, you know, I mentally ascend to, you know, Jesus might have been a good teacher, uh, and that's fantastic. But he was not just a good teacher. He was the Messiah. He was the son of God. And he was the substitutionary sacrifice for you and I, who now didn't come for us to become good people. I could be good by myself. Amen. I didn't, he didn't come for me to have a moral correction. I could be moral by myself. But he came for me to have life when all I had was death for me to have belonging when all I had was being an orphan so that I could be close to God and not far from God. And how do we approach God and walk close to God? Well, that starts with believing and then behaving, right? I said this to the last service that, thank you, sir. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. I'm preaching very good. It's good. Um, thank you, sir. Um, I said this to the last service that believing in and of itself is noble and it's worthwhile, but it's not everything. It is not everything. As a matter of fact, James, one of Jesus's half brothers would have said it this way, that, oh, you believe, that's fantastic. So do demons. It's in the book of James. You believe, great. So do demons. You know, believing is knowing, right? And as a pastor, I hear this all the time when I'm in pastoral counseling or guidance or conversations. And it's like, ah, oh, Pastor Cruz, I know. I know I should have done it. I know I should have done it. And you know what it would have saved the marriage was not just knowing, but doing. What would have helped the career was not just knowing, but doing. What would have saved the life was not just knowing, but doing. And what makes the difference between a demon or a disciple is not just knowing, but doing. 
Amen. And so I hope today that in our time together, we um, get a good perspective on how not just to know, not just to believe, but to behave. Amen. All right. So we're going to pick up. Amen. Amen. We're going to pick up where uh, we're going to pick up in the book of Romans chapter 12. Verses one and two, last week, Pastor Brent taught us three incredible points where the behaving is a personal responsibility, right? Behaving is personal responsibility. I choose my behavior. I choose my conduct. That's a personal responsibility. Now, in choosing my behavior, the second point is that we're all a work in progress. We're all in the process. And so the point is not perfection. The point is showing up right? Showing up wherever you're at in the process, whether you've been walking with Jesus for a lifetime or you are new to this way, to this walk, you are part of a process that the Lord is working out in your everyday life. And as we're walking in that process on that journey, love is our motive, but grace is our practice. Grace is our practice, right? And so I want to build on that a little bit this week. And so we're going to read out of the book of Romans chapter 12, verses one and two. If you're taking notes, hopefully you are. Um, we're going to be reading out of the message paraphrase, all right? And here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, now here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to do. Now, I want you to just kind of like under underline, if you're taking notes, or um, just think about this. Who is the you that Paul is talking to? Who are the you? You is a very, very, very focused term. You, you, the believers, the church of the living God, the church of Jesus Christ, the church in Rome. And I think I could superimpose on that statement, the church at Pearl Street, the church in San Antonio to you, Pearl Street. Here's what I want you to do. Pearl Street, the apostle Paul would say it. Here's what I want you to do. I want you, God helping you. I want you to take your everyday ordinary life, your everyday ordinary life. That's the big idea here that God wants your everyday ordinary. Your everyday ordinary matters. Your everyday ordinary has purpose in it. Your everyday ordinary has substance to it. Your everyday ordinary matters. What is my everyday ordinary? My sleeping, my eating, my going to work and walking around life. And I want you to place that before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. Instead, fix your attention on God and you'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you. He develops well-formed maturity in you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that the entrance of your word brings us perspective, instruction. Lord, today we declare that we will not just be informed, but we will be transformed by your word today. Lord, I thank you for lives that are going to be changed here today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Praise God. Awesome. Awesome. Hey, well, uh, my wife is with me today, and I'm just grateful for my wife, Diana. She's um, been my wifey for 18 years. January 3rd, 2022, she will have been my wifey for 18 years. Um, yeah, our, our, our marriage is almost a full-grown adult. That's awesome. Um, she's been my girlfriend for 25 years. Next June, she'll have been my girlfriend for 25 years. That's, a, that's weird to say that out loud. Um, we hooked up when we were nine, and so we were... Um, fifth grade, now I'm lying, I just, I'm trying to hold on to some youth, you know what I'm saying? I'm trying to just, I'm trying to grab it, and she's been my baby mama for nine, nine years. We have two little girls, like Pastor Brent said, and uh, we are trying to live a life full of Jesus, and I am saved, but you mess with my girls, you'll catch these hands, 100%. And I don't know that it'll be like praying hands, I might ball them up like this, mess with my baby girls, you'll catch these hands. I'm saved, but I still got hands. Do I have anyone in the room who is like, man, I will anoint you in Jesus' name. Jab, 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 right hook. Holla at your boy. I'll, I'll give you a two-piece in Jesus' name. Mess with my girls. And I love my wife. I love my wife. Uh, I love my wife for multiple reasons, but one of the things that I, I don't just love her for it. I respect her for it. And I live not necessarily in fear 
of my wife. Um, but I do live in, an, in, in a very, very conscious awareness that my wife is a ninja. Uh, my wife's a ninja in this regard that she knows things about me that I have no idea how she knows about them. Uh, she knows that I'm going through something or I'm processing something as a man where I've never said it out loud to her, but she just knows. You know that kind of person who's just got insight and sometimes you just don't even want to make eye contact with them because they will read your whole life. You know what I'm talking about, right? That person who will come up to you and be like, hey, everything okay? And you're like, dang it. And now all of a sudden, something you react and you just let it all out. My wife's a ninja. My wife's a ninja, not just emotionally and spiritually, but apparently she's a ninja also in how nimble she is. She can just sneak up on a brother and just be like, hey, how you doing? I'm like, what? 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 Like, I'll prove it to you. I'll show it to you. The other day, I was watching a movie at home. And um, when I go into movie mode, I don't have a lot of quiet downtime in my life, right? The, like I try to be productive as much as I can, but in the areas where I'll allow myself some disposable time, do you know what I'm talking about? In the, in the economy of my time and my attention and my focus, every once in a while, I'll allow myself to watch a movie or, or watch a TV show or something. And so the other day, a couple weeks ago, I was watching a movie and I was completely fixated I mean, I'm telling you, I was locked in to the movie. And um, as I was enjoying my cinematic experience, um, fully immersed all the way in, all of a sudden, I feel some fingers begin to caress my forehead out of nowhere. And my first response is like, is this you, Jesus? Like, wow, I'm having a moment. But then I, I, just, I, I, I just felt this right here, just over my head, like, right, like this. And I heard a voice behind me, which was not the voice of the Lord. It was the voice of my ninja. Um, and she said, hey, fix your face. Fix your face. Fix your face. Um, apparently, when I'm locked in, when I'm really focused, apparently I scowl. Anyone else make a face when you are dialed in? I've got, uh, I've got, I've got a look that I have when I'm, I'm watching a movie, um, man, I, I don't have time to share it with you, but if she took a photo of me. She took a, I'll share it with the next service, I guess, but like she took a photo of me. She took a photo of me on the plane and she said, bro, you sleep grumpy. <laughs> she has it on her phone right now and I'm gonna sleep like this. Like right, right there, right on the plane yesterday on the way here, she took it, she snapped a shot. And she said, dude, you need to fix your face. When you focus, Cruz, you, this is what you do, right? Um, it's interesting to me that what we fixate on is reflected through our dispositions. How we fixate on things is reflected through our attitudes, right? And, and it's interesting to me that in this portion of scripture, when the apostle Paul is telling believers like you and I how we ought to live our lives, essentially he's saying, fix your focus. Now, I'm not gonna tell you to fix your face because you might be like me, where my response to my wife is like, number one, I don't appreciate you sneaking up on me like this. That's scary. Number two, you've been dealing with this face for 25 years. Why are you acting brand new? Why are you acting like you ain't never seen this right here? Like, take it or leave it. This is what I got, babe. Like, I'm like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, now I appreciate her. She's trying to help a brother out. Like, not, not have the, the 11s. And, you know what I mean? Like, not have that, the lines and all that. I get it. I get it. I get it, right? Um, but what, I, what it really brought my attention to was that when I focus, there is a disposition that comes over me when I focus. And, and, you know, the big idea here is not just when Paul is telling, talking to the church about how you ought to view your life and how we ought to live our lives. It's not just about what we focus on, right? That's, that's, that's pretty fundamental. It should be for us that we focus on God. We focus on the right things, not the wrong things. We focus on things above, not things just on earth. That we focus on who has a voice in our life, who has influence in our lives. That not everyone deserves a seat at the table of your life. Not everyone has your best interest at heart. Not everyone who has an opinion should be an opinion that you listen to. That yes, they have a right to an opinion, but I have a right to say, well, I disagree with your opinion. And so when Paul is saying fix your attention, what he's saying is don't just fix what you're looking at, but fix how you're looking at things. A fixed attention 
the way Paul says it is not just what we focus on, but how we focus. See, in a time where the church was in a little bit of a quandary and found themselves caught in the tension between an empire who had a way of looking at things and a way of doing things, the Roman Empire in the first century was the world power. It was the world influence. If, if Rome sneezed, the world caught a cold. That's how powerful their influence was. And so the church that we're studying here was smack dab at the epicenter of world culture and emerging and powerful the world civilization as it was, was being defined by Rome. So they're, they're caught in the middle between being pulled by the culture's way of looking at things and the way of focusing versus the kingdom's way of looking at things. And so Paul is writing to a church saying, hey, if you're going to live a life where you believe and behave, if you're going to live a life, you've got to start by fixing your attention, fixing your attention, fixing your attention. A fixed attention is not just what, but it's how. Does that make sense to you? All right? So Cruz, what is attention? Great question. For your notes, for the note takers in the room, here's what attention is. Here's what Paul wants us to fix. The word attention literally means this, a selective narrowing of my focus. A selective, that's a key word, okay? A selective, I choose what I narrow my focus on. I choose, I have a choice what I look at. I have a choice, I can select how I narrow my focus. And so he's saying, I want you to fix what you're selectively zoning and narrowing on and into. When I think of a selected narrowing of focus, I can't help but think of lenses. I can't help but think of how a lens can be designed to selectively narrow my focus, to selectively work according to my dispositions or the, 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 the construct of my eyeball. I can't get, I don't know the, the, all the physiolog physiology of an eyeball. I know there's a cornea and a pupil and a lens. Is there a lens? An, opt an optic nerve? Is that it? Did I get it? Most of it? All right, great. Awesome. I'm looking at the doctor in the room. I'm like, did I, am I right? Am I right? Okay, cool. All right. Um, right? But listen, a lens works in a way where I can selectively narrow my focus. And I wonder what kind of lenses we've been viewing God through. What kind of lenses we've been focusing on our lives through when it comes to our following Jesus. And I thought about the, the dynamics and the dichotomy between a popular culture and a kingdom culture. Because you and I, very much like the church in Rome, find ourselves in the tug of war between popular culture and kingdom culture. The tension that you and I live in today about men, it's kind, of, it's kind of tough being a Christian out in these streets right now. It's kind of tough, man. Like there's a lot of, man, there's a lot of perspectives and there's a lot of tug and there's like, hey, should I stand for this? Should I like this post? Should I not retweet this? Where do I land? What do I say? What's the right thing to say? Am I gonna get canceled at work for saying a certain thing? There is a vying, a tug of war, and there are influence that are at work trying to get us to narrow our focus. And I believe that more than ever, the point of view and the instruction that Paul gave us about 2,000 years ago to say, hey, listen, fix your attention. Let's narrow our focus this way is so pertinent for us, right? And so my thought was, okay, well, then what are the lenses through which we're typically viewing God? What are those lenses? And the, the first thought that came to me was like, well, look, let me view how I view things in my own life. When I'm, when I'm leaning more towards popular opinion and popular perspective and cultural perspective and the metrics of culture, the metrics of success, the metrics of what it means to be winning, the metrics of clout in culture, the metrics of, man, man, you're really significant in culture. What does that look like in my life and how am I viewing God in those times. And I couldn't help but think that there are times that when I'm viewing God through those metrics of culture, that I view him through a telescopic lens, right? And here's what I mean by that. Here's what I mean. 
Um, a telescopic lens. Now, by, just disclaimer, I'm not an astronomer. By no stretch of the imagination, okay? No Galileo here. Got it? Okay. Now, a telescopic lens, thank, thank God for Google who gives me great definitions and great perspective. A telescopic lens is useful for one thing. I Googled it and I said, hey Google, what is a telescope good for? And a telescope is good for viewing things that are far away. And I said, well, thank you, Captain Obvious. But then it really made me think. You know, there are times where if I'm not careful, my only view of God and my only lens of God is a telescope. Cruz, what do you mean by that? Well, there are times where the only time I will come and perceive God and look at my life through God is when I feel like I need to see things that are far away, right? It sounds like this to me in my life. Maybe, maybe it'll resonate with you. It sounds like this, like, hey, God, someday maybe I'll be able to get my life together. Hey, God, someday, may, maybe, maybe, maybe someday I'll be able to walk in purpose, Hey, God, maybe someday I'll stop doubting. Maybe someday, as if the hand of God and the work of God, the life of God and the spirit of God, as if he were limited to being far away. And there are times when I'll view him through the lenses of a telescope that because my life doesn't measure up to what culture says my life should measure up to, that when the, when, when the dynamics and the details of my life at best are a contradiction, my view of God is someday or one day. One day I'll have a voice or one day I'll get it together. I'll, I'll, I view him through things that, through a lens where it's like you're far away someday. Or, or, or I can view him as if, all he, all the, all the perspective is, or the lens is, I can only see you when I need to see something extra. We said a lot, there was a lot of hmms in the room, because you know, like, you know exactly what we're talking about, right? Right, like, like the only time, right, right, so like when I view a telescope, I'm viewing things that are extra planetary, away from my world, and sometimes it's like, oh God, I need you so bad right now, I need you extra today. Lord, I need you, ex Lord, I need some extra grace today, God. Lord, I need some, Lord, I need, okay, I need an extra breakthrough today. I don't know how I'm going to make it. Like, I used to, let me tell you what my extra used to sound like, or sometimes it still kind of does, if we're keeping it real in the, in the second service. You ready? My extra sounds like this. Hey, God, I, I promise I'll never do this again if you get me out of this one. Hey, God, if you make a way this time, I probably, like, like, hey, I need you extra today, God. Like, I don't know how this rent's going to get paid. I don't know how, I don't know how we're going to make, like, like God, I, I said I would never do this again. I said I'd never be here again. And I'm coming back to look at you because I need some little extra from you. I just look, God, like, man, I, I know it's been a minute. I know it's been a while. And this is kind of extraordinary for me because I don't normally talk to you about stuff. And I don't normally look at you in my life. And I don't normally, but I know you're there somewhere. I know you're there someday. And so today I just need a little bit of extra. And I wonder if we've relegated God to someday extraordinary. I wonder if we've relegated God to just, I'm wishing upon a star. I wonder if we relegated his presence and his power, his direction and his instruction to someday. Someday I'll get it together. Someday. Someday. Extraordinary. See, that's the view that culture gives us. But Paul says, but I don't want you. I don't want, God doesn't want your someday extraordinary. God doesn't, now while he does have vision for you and he does have purpose for you. And Jeremiah 29, 11 does say, I know the plans I have for you. It's for a hope and a future and intended outcome. The Lord does say that, but he's also present in our everyday ordinary. 
And so while at times I'll look at God trying to zoom in on my someday, Paul is saying, look, stop using God as a zoom in instrument to try to make you feel like, man, someday you'll get it together. On the contrary, I want you to take the everyday ordinary, not the far away extraordinary, not the far away big stuff, right? Because that's how, that's how we talk to God if, if we're being honest, right? Hey, God, one day I want to be married. So like, hey, work that out for me. Hey, God, one day I want to be rich. So work that out for me. Hey, God, one day I want to do this. And so we include him in, in the one day's big moments. Do you know what I'm talking about? Hey, I'm about to start this job. I'm about to start this business. But he's like, that's great. I want that. But I need you to see me in your everyday ordinary. And so while a lens could be a telescope where we're zooming in, hopefully, on our someday extraordinary, Paul is saying the way of the kingdom is not someday extraordinary. You don't, we, we, don't, we don't worry about that. We don't, we, don't, we don't live our lives driven, worried about someday extra. We don't live our lives concerned about someday extra. We don't live our lives consumed by someday extraordinary. Let me show it to you. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter six, verse 31. Jesus said it this way. He said, hey, so don't worry about these things. What things? The someday, the what ifs, the extraordinaries, the, the worries that consume our everyday life. What will I eat? What will I drink? That sounds a lot like accomplishment. That sounds a lot like milestones. That sounds a lot like goals. That sounds, right? And am I saying don't have goals? Absolutely not. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is don't view life through the lenses that the only time you see worth, value, or the hand of God at work is just when you accomplish. Does that make sense to you, right? So Jesus is saying, look, don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. Unbelievers. Okay, however, here's the lens he proposes. But your father, who already knows your needs, can I just push pause? And let me just take a moment to minister to some of us who are like, Cruz, I get it, I hear what you're saying, but bro, I'm, I'm so worried, I'm so concerned. We're making big decisions, we're hoping big. Can I tell you that your heavenly father already knows what you need, here, let me, let me say it this way. He knows what you need right now in a way that you don't even know you need it yet. Seriously. Hebrews 13, in the message version says, God is there, ready to help. I think it's so key that the writer of the message version said God is there. Because we always live here. So am I saying don't worry about if and when someday? No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying don't let it consume you. I'm saying don't let it make you get a stomach ache at night. I'm saying don't let it disrupt your life. Don't let it make you miss out here and now because you're so consumed by if and when. Don't miss today worried about tomorrow. Right, And so the, the writer of Hebrews says, God is already there. God, and I feel like I need to minister this to, to this room right now. God is already there, ready to help, okay? He's already in your there, ready to help you here. This is why at times the instructions for in your here make no sense. Because your construct of what reality is here is not even close to what he sees there. However, he's helping you hear from his knowledge of there. And there are times where here doesn't make sense what he's asking me to do. But if we're trusting him, then I can make, I, I, can, I can say I'll be obedient here so I can accomplish and arrive there. And so I trust you in my there leading me in my here. Does that make sense? We're talking about an eternal God who's not limited by the time-space continuum. Does that make sense? Awesome, okay? And so the Lord, the Lord Jesus tells us that, hey, your heavenly Father knows what you need. So don't let it consume you. Don't view the lenses 
through a telescope. Don't view your life through a telescope. He already knows what you need. He knows what someday looks like. He knows it. He already has it. On the contrary, here's what I want you to do. Verse 32 says this. Your heavenly father knows what you need. So here's what I want you to do. Verse 33, seek the kingdom. Seek the kingdom. I want you to take that note. Seek the kingdom. The word seek isn't just a pursuit right? It's not just a pursuit. The kingdom of God is not hidden where you have to play hide and seek. Like ready or not, here I come, right? God is not that kind of God. He's not a jokester. He's not a prankster. He's not, he's not saying, okay, well, look, I've got, I've got this kingdom in this life for you. Now go find it. That's not how he works. He wants to be revealed and discovered. So the term seek here literally means let this be the first thing you see. Let it be the filter through which you see your life. Let it be the lens through which you view your life, right? So unbelievers don't view through, through the, the, the principles and the truth of the kingdom. This is why we're consumed and they're consumed by the unknown. For us, we don't view it that way. We see the kingdom first. Watch. And then you live righteously and he'll give you everything you need. When I see the kingdom first, there's a confidence. There's a behavior that says, I believe that the Lord is going to provide all of my needs. All I need to do is view my life and his work through the lenses of the kingdom. So if the empire and culture says, view God through the lenses of telescopes, what then is the kingdom? What are the lenses of the kingdom? Great question. Let me break it down for you. Ready? The lenses of the kingdom can be summed up in Luke chapter 17, verse 21. Look what the Bible says. Now when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. Interesting to me that, the word, that, that a word for a really big telescope is what? Observatory. Observatory. And Jesus literally is saying in the book of Luke, the kingdom of God is not seen through big giant telescopes. It's not seen through observation. It's not seen in the big obvious places, in the big obvious moments. On the contrary, he literally says, you cannot be able to say, oh, there's the kingdom. Uh, you accomplished, you got there, great. You're, you made it, you made it to the kingdom, great job. You made it, you, made, you, 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 you picked that up? right? He's not saying that that's, he's saying that's not how you measure, but the kingdom, watch, is already within you. The kingdom is already within you. That's good news for you and me, because I can be relieved from the pressure of someday, from the pressure of if and when, and recognize that here, now, today, the kingdom of God is already in me. Dude, in me for real? In, in like as inadequate and inappropriate as I can be? Absolutely. As inconsistent as I can be? Absolutely. With the attitudes I can catch sometimes? 100%. With the way I mess up, with the thoughts I think? Absolutely. And can I just tell you today that the Lord is not surprised by our human inefficiency and the Lord is not put off by our human contradictions and the Lord is not put off by the proclivity that we have to mess things up. On the contrary, he says, it's my glory to put my power and the most precious things inside of jars of clay, inside of places that are weak, frail, and fragile. I get glory. And my kingdom is established in lives that are not perfect. Why? Because that's how I can be seen. Wow. So he says the kingdom is not in the accomplishment of someday. The kingdom is within you today. What's the kingdom then, Cruz? Great question. Great question. I'm grateful for Paul. He teaches us in Romans chapter 14. Here's what the kingdom is. Here's what the kingdom is. The kingdom is not a matter of eating or drinking, but a righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Watch. So if the lenses of culture, which drag me down, keep me living immature, is a telescope that only focuses on someday, then I would submit to our thinking today that the lenses of the kingdom, that the lens of the kingdom is not about far away. It's not about someday, but it's about close. In me here today, it's about my everyday. 
ordinary. And I don't need a telescope to see my everyday ordinary. What I need is a magnifying glass. See, the view that I believe Paul wanted the church to have and wants the church to have here today is not that the Lord is glorified when we can try to zoom in on someday extraordinary, but that God can be magnified in your everyday ordinary, that God can be magnified, that God can be made big in the smallest of places. I suppose this is why the eternal God steps off of his throne of divine privilege and limits himself to the body of a sinful flesh, takes off his divinity, takes off his eternity, takes off his omniscience, omnipotence, and all that makes him God puts on flesh and puts himself in a small place. Would, you, would it surprise you that a God who is going to be speaking into your life here today would say, hey, I'm familiar with small places. I wasn't born in a throne. I was born in a manger. I, wasn't, I didn't have a big name. I actually made myself of no name. And I, while, while there was a culture of emperors, I didn't come in as a conquering emperor. I came in as a lowly servant. Why? Because he knew his people. And he knew that in our lives, we would have everyday ordinaries. And he would say, I am the king that wants to be magnified in your everyday ordinary. And so what I would submit to us today is that we resist the lenses of a telescope and we pick up the magnifying glass. Can I see God bigger in my everyday ordinary? I don't, have, I, don't, I don't have the answers for some day, but I have an answer every day. That's a good word, right? So Paul says, here are the lenses through which I want you to view your everyday ordinary. Righteousness, peace, and joy. So what are these lenses? I can't wait to share this with you. Ready? Here we go. So righteousness, righteousness. What is righteousness? What is righteousness? So there are two forms of righteousness. One is the righteousness of God that you and I receive by faith in Christ. This form of righteousness cannot be earned. It cannot be merited. It cannot be bought. It can only be given by faith in Christ. You and I here today are the righteousness of God by faith in Christ. What does that mean? That means that as a child of God who has been born again, who has been saved and regenerated, who now has the fruit of salvation, a life that shows a change in direction, and now I walk under the authority of God, that by faith in Christ, I owe heaven nothing. I owe God nothing. Me and God are right. Jesus said it this way right before he gave up the ghost at the cross. He said it this way. It is finished. What does that mean? That means the ledgers are balanced. You owe heaven nothing. God is not mad at you. He's madly in love with you. And when heaven views you through the eyes and the work of Jesus, he says, you owe me nothing. You, you and I are, don't have an outstanding balance. On the contrary, it's zero sum total. You're good. That cannot be earned, right? That's the righteousness of God. However, you and I should have the fruit of righteousness, which is the other form of righteousness. Cruz, what does that mean? That simply means this, that I live my everyday ordinary making a case for Christ. That's a big statement. Let me unpack it for you. Ready? There are claims that the Lord makes over your life that he wants us to demonstrate in our everyday ordinary lives. Ready? Claims like you're a child of God. Claims like you are full of authority and power. Claims like you are healed and prospered. Claims like you belong to God. What I do every day when I'm living a life of righteousness is this, is I'm gonna take righteousness and I'm gonna magnify God in my everyday living, making a case that he's right about what he said. 
that he's right about what he said of my life, that he's right about what he said about his promises. I'm going to live my life as a case that God is true, as a case that his word is true, that he's steadfast and constant. I can hear it summed up in this way. I will do it God's way so that I can get God's results. That's how I'm going to magnify God in my everyday, ordinary, living a life that makes a case for Christ. Cruz, what does that look like practically? Ready? Proverbs chapter 3 says it this way. Lean not to your own understanding, but in all your ways, all your ways. All your ways sounds like everyday, ordinary, doesn't it? In all your ways, all your ways, up, down, sideways, all your ways, what? Acknowledge him and he'll what? Direct your path. The magnifying glass through which I view my everyday ordinary is this. Hey God, I acknowledge your way today. Hey God, I acknowledge your way of doing things today. Hey God, today I'm going to acknowledge you. Before I want my way, before I want it done the way I want it done, before I have my own opinion about things, it's going to be your way first. A person who walks righteously before God is simply not a, it's not a person who is perfect, infallible. It's a perfect who it's a person who says this, "Lord, it's your authority first and my preference second." Does that make sense to you? Watch, here's, 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 here's what living righteous sounds like. Pastor Brent alluded to it during prayer in Psalm 139, where he says, where, where, the, where David says, seek my heart, O God, search my heart. Watch, and he says this, and find in me every wicked way. Every wicked way. Find in me every wicked way. Now, today's the 31st, and there's probably a lot of wicked witches running around, okay? And so... Um, when the writer of, of, of Psalm 139 says wicked, he's not referring to nefarious, dark, occult, okay? What he's referring to, here's, write this down because I want this to stay with you. The word wicked literally means this. It literally means an opinionated spirit that disagrees with God and ultimately results in destruction. I'll say it again. An opinionated spirit that disagrees with God and ultimately ends up in destruction. David is saying, hey God, search my heart. Put a magnifying glass. Let your righteousness become a magnifying glass and identify every place in me that is opinionated, disagrees with you, and could ultimately destroy my life. You know, Proverbs 14, 12 says this, that there is a way that seems right to a man but the end of it is destruction. There's a way of doing things that seems right to a person. And it seems right to us. You want to know why? Because we have limited perspective. I don't, I'm not eternal. I'm flawed, man. I can't see the beginning from the end. And it seems good right now. But how, how many of y'all have been alive long enough to see a good decision end up with bad results? Come on, somebody. Amen. So David says this, like this is what choosing righteousness in our everyday ordinary sounds like. Hey God, search me. And search my heart with the magnifying glass of your way of doing things. Let me view my life, my everyday ordinary, through your way of doing things. Watch. And find in me every wicked way, every place that is opinionated, that disagrees with you, and could destroy me. Show that to me. You want to know what wickedness sounds like, especially in this era? Here we go. I'm going to shoot my shot, Pastor Brent. Here we go. Here's what, here's what wickedness sounds like. Wickedness doesn't sound like occult incantations and spells. Here's what wickedness sounds like. Well, I don't see anything wrong with that. I don't, I don't see anything. I don't see anything wrong with that. Great. So now you're God. Great. Please let me know how that works for you. And I, I know that's, a, that's an inconvenient truth, and that's a tough truth. But we live in a culture where opinions now become gospels. And perspectives become canon and become di the divine right, the divine writ. And I heard Bishop T.D. Jake say this one time. He said, and it's a slippery slope that when the book on truth that we quote the most is the one that we wrote. 
righteousness says, hey, God, I do have a preference for my someday, but in my everyday, I want your way. Does that make sense? I do have a preference for my someday, but here and now every day, I'm going to do things your way. That's what David said in Psalm 139. Reveal in me, magnify, show me every wicked way that disagrees with you and could destroy me. And then he says, and you lead me from your way that is everlasting. Lead me, God. Lead me from your eternal perspective. Help me magnify your eternity in my human frailty. Help me see your infinite hand and your infinite voice in my limited perspective. Help me see your way here today. Help me see your way every day. Does that make sense? Second lens, I'm almost done. You learning something good today? Yeah? Okay, beautiful. Here we go. Second lens, second magnifying gas that Paul wants us to put over our lives. Righteousness was one, right? Essentially, righteousness is making a case for Christ. I'm going to do things your way, not my way, right? Number two is peace, 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 peace. Now, if you're taking notes, I'm gonna, I want to tell you what some of the metrics and the markers and the fruit of peace are for your life. Peace is summed up and can be said this way, that you have the presence of health, welfare, prosperity, and every form of good. When the Lord comes into your life, remember, Jesus is the prince of, amen, I love a Bible-believing church. Jesus is the prince of Peace. So when he comes into our life, peace rules our life. Peace, has the, peace is the dominant authority. Amen? Right? And so while the result of peace are, the results of peace are health, welfare, prosperity, every form of good, the practical practices, the everyday practices of peace can be summed up in one word. That one word is reconciliation. If I'm going to live a life that enjoys the health, welfare, prosperity, and every form of good that comes from God, I live a life that is reconciled to God. Reconciled to God. Did you know that you could be born again but not at peace with God? It can be seen in just parent-child relationships. Have you ever been a child that was pissed at their parents? And have you ever been a parent that had a pissed-off kid? Amen. Right? In the same way, you and I can be unreconciled to God. And, and maybe, not unre maybe not unreconciled in the way of sin, but unreconciled in the way of our expectations. Unreconciled in the way we think things ought to go. Unreconciled in moments of hurt where we've superimposed God where man hurt us. Where we've superimposed God where family hurt us. And in places of disappointment, we're mad at God. When God didn't let us down, man did. Circumstances happened. Chance and circumstance, the Bible says, happened to all men. That's not God's doing. Does that make sense? And if I'm going to live a kingdom life, if I'm going to live a life that believes and behaves, then I've got to view God through the lens in my everyday ordinary, through the lens of peace, where I say, Lord, I'm reconciled with you. The word reconciliation simply means this, two friends deciding to be friendly again after arguing and disagreeing. It's simply put that way. Hey, God, I'm done arguing with you. Right, write this down. Peaceful living says this. Hey, God and I, we're good. Hey, God, you and I, we're good. And we say that in our everyday ordinary I mean, think about the tendency we have to view again through telescopes, right? Now, one day when God does this for me, one day we'll be good. One day when God does this for me, we'll be settled. One day when God comes through, no, but God is saying, dude, I want to be good with you all day, every day. I, I want you to taste and see that the Lord is good every day. I want you, like with every rising of the sun, according to Lamentations chapter 3, with the rising of every sun, every time the sun rises, I want you to know that I'm giving you the best of my love, the best of my grace, the best of my mercy, the best of who I am. I want you to have that every day, and I don't want you to live absent from it because you're waiting on someday. No, you today, you can choose peace and say, hey, God, 
I, I still have a hope and I still have a thought for someday, but in my everyday ordinary, I'm going to live reconciled with you. I'm done being upset at you. I'm done being hurt with you. I'm done being disappointed with you. You and I, we're good. You don't owe me anything. Jesus already gave me everything. God, I'm done being entitled. I'm done feeling like I'm just got a chip on my shoulder. Lord, I'm done. I'm going to view my everyday ordinary through peace. Let's stand to our feet. And the last lens, the last lens through which the Lord teaches us to view our life, and Mario, you guys can come up. The last lens is through the lens of joy. Joy, joy, living a joyful life. Living a joyful life. Righteousness, peace, and joy. Now, family, I need us to understand that if we're going to have well-formed maturity in our lives, our lives cannot be relegated to feeling alone. Feeling. It's not just about the feelings. Did anybody work out this week? Let me see you one time. One time. Did some, okay. Keep your hands up. Did you feel like every workout? Did you feel like you wanted to go every workout? Some of you are crazy and you kept your hands up. God bless you. Not me. Well, let me ask you this question. Who paid bills this week? Who felt like paying those bills? Spectrum taking all my money. Charging so much for internet. Right? Did you know you can make choices without having feelings? You can make the choice without having the feeling. And this is the difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is a feeling, but if you know anything like I know, how trifling and fickle and fleeting happiness is. Happiness can be gone in one text message, in one doctor's visit, opening up your mobile banking app one time. Oh, you know what I'm talking about, like, Ah, oh, dang, that's how debits work. I didn't know that. I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know that. Now all my happy is gone. All my happy. You know what I'm saying? Like all my, my, all my happy is gone. All my happy is gone. And sometimes it's not your mobile banking app. Sometimes it's your career choice and all my happy is gone. And sometimes it's a breakup and all my happy is gone. And sometimes it's an argument with your mom and all my happy is gone. But the Apostle Paul is saying, listen, I don't want you to view through the lenses of feeling. I want you to view through the lenses of truth, the lenses of joy. What is joy? Great question. Nehemiah 8.10 would say that the joy of the Lord is our strength. You've heard that, right? That the joy of the Lord is our strength. And that's awesome. And, and church people love to be like, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Yeah, I'm going to be strong. But what, what is that? Tell me what that is. Because I want to be strong too. I want to be strong, and I don't want to just want to be strong in a Sunday night service or a Sunday afternoon service. I don't want to just be strong when I'm watching YouTube, and it's like, you got that joy, yeah. You know what I mean, like, I don't just want to be strong then. I want to be strong in my everyday ordinary. So if the joy of the Lord is my strength, tell me, man, help a brother out. Tell me what the joy of the Lord is. I need to know. Well, I'm grateful for the Word, because the Word will always teach you all the time. Third John chapter 1, verse 4 tells us what the joy of the Lord is. The joy of the Lord is this, and Jesus' friend, John, is speaking, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and he says, I have no greater joy. The Lord is speaking through John, and he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are living their lives, not living moments, living their lives, living their lives, watch, in the truth. The joy of the Lord, my family, hear me when you hear, when, hear me, hear me, hear me. The joy of the Lord, and the Lord has no greater joy than when I'm living my life in the truth, in the truth of God's word. And joyful living chooses to believe God's truth over life's facts. I choose to view and magnify God and view the lenses, view my life through the magnifying glass of the truth of God.
And currently my facts don't line up. And currently the facts of life aren't where I want to be. And the facts of life aren't friendly. And the facts of life aren't conducive necessarily to happiness. And God, I don't, I don't necessarily see you, but I want to magnify you by seeing and believing your truth. His word is truth. What he said to you is true. And I'm going to say this to you. I hope you still love me. Okay? God is not faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful. That's the wrong statement to start with. Started that wrong. Let me bring that back. God is faithful. He is faithful. We serve a faithful God. He is a faithful father. He's faithful. However, here we go. Maturity. This is big boy church. Okay? This is big girl church. Okay? Hear me. But he's not faithful to your expectations. He's faithful to his word. He's not faithful to what makes you happy. He's faithful to what gives you life. He's faithful to his word. And his word says, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And if I'm going to live the life that Jesus came for me to have, I've got to do it in a way where I see my life through the lenses of righteousness, peace, and joy. And if anyone here today is saying, Cruz, I'm about to change the lens. I'm moving away from the telescope, and I'm picking up a magnifying glass, and I'm going to magnify God in my everyday life ordinary. I'm going to start by saying, God, it's your way, not my way. I choose righteousness. I choose your authority. I choose it. And then I'm going to have peace about it. I'm going to say, okay, I'm doing it your way, and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. I'm going to do it your way, and I'm okay with that, but I'm okay with it. Why? Because his word is true. And if I go his way, then I'll get his results. So God, I'm releasing you from the pressure of my expectations and I'm surrendering and submitting myself to your way of living. Come on, would you raise your hands towards heaven? Father, in Jesus' name, I speak over your church today and I declare, Father, that they view life, that they fix their attention, and that our attention is fixed on your word, your truth, your peace, your righteousness, your way of doing things. I declare over men and women, over homes and businesses, over marriages, over careers, over educational paths. Father, today, your righteousness, your peace, and your joy, your strength over this church, over these lives. And Father, I declare that we no longer live someday, one day, extra. Please do the, all the giant things. No, on the contrary, today I declare that we live your righteousness, your peace, and your joy in my everyday ordinary, in my sleeping, my getting up, my walking around, my going to work, my going to school, my being tired, my being disappointed, my being frustrated. God, I'm going to make magnify you. I'm going to magnify you and exalt your name in my everyday ordinary. I worship you in my everyday living. Come on. Will you just sing to him and say, God, I worship you to live. I worship you in my life. I lift you up. I exalt you in everything that I am.
every head closed, every eye closed, every head bowed. And you can put your arms down. We believe that in a moment of faith, God can step into your everyday ordinary. To be honest with you, that's what he wants. He wants a relationship with you in your everyday ordinary. This is why he sent Jesus, so that you could be a child of God every single day. And there are, there are some of our family that are here in this service today that you have not brought Jesus into your everyday ordinary. Cruz, I didn't know I could do that. Well, yes, you can, and you should. You should have a relationship with heaven through Jesus where God is part of your everyday ordinary. Cruz, how do I do that? Well, we believe that happens in a moment we call salvation, in a moment where he steps into whatever your current context of life looks like, and he changes your situation to a more preferable one. It's better to do life with God. It's better to work things out with Jesus and God on your side. Cruz, how do I do that? Well, the Bible says this, two things, that you believe and you receive. You believe and you receive. Cruz, is it really that simple? Absolutely. John chapter one, verse 12 says this, to whomever would believe and receive him, to them he gave the power to be called the children of God. So today I wanna to give you an opportunity to bring Jesus into your everyday ordinary. You're not waiting for someday to get it all together, to fix everything, to get right. One day you'll get right and then you'll have a relationship with God. No, what we do is in our everyday ordinary, we come to the one who is right and he makes us right. So with every eye closed, every head bowed, if that's you today and you'd say, hey Cruz, I wanna bring Jesus into my everyday ordinary, will you pray with me? Will you pray with me? Cruz, will you pray with me? I want that. I want to make that decision. If that's you and you want me to pray with you today, would you just raise your hand right where you're at? This is a sign of faith. Wow, hands all over the room. Praise God. Come on, take a moment and just say, Lord, as you're raising your hand, this is what you're saying, Lord, I believe in you and I receive you. Come on, I'm gonna give you a couple more seconds. If that's you today and you say, Cruz, will you pray for me? Cruz, Lord, Cruz, I've been, I've been walking far from God, but I want to come back today. If that's you, raise your hand right where you're at right where you're at. Amen. Amen. I'm so proud of your faith. I'm so proud of your boldness. Now we're going to pray a prayer together and we're going to believe and receive what Jesus has for us. So come on, Pearl Street. Will we, can we all raise our hands towards heaven? Let's all raise our hands towards heaven. Let's pray this prayer. I'm going to give you the words, but you're going to give it all the faith and all the meaning. Come on and just say this prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the way, the truth, and the life. I believe that you are the Christ the Son of the living God. I believe that you are more than enough to forgive my sin and make me new. I receive your love, your grace, and your life. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for changing me. You're the Lord of my life. I declare that I am a child of God in Jesus' name and I'll never be the same ever again. Amen, amen, amen. Come on, can we celebrate what Jesus just did? Amen. Praise God. Hey, listen, I love you, Pearl Street. I'm going to say this one thing to everyone who just gave their life to Jesus. Now, we're, we're not done yet. Pastor Greg's going to come out and, and, and share with us a little bit. Um, but listen, for everyone who just gave their life to Jesus, I'm just going to say this. Just keep coming back. Come back to Open House on Tuesday. Come back next Sunday. Just keep coming back and see what he does in your everyday ordinary. Amen? I love you guys.